Welcome to Cooking the Books. I'm Vanessa, your host, and I'm glad you're here. A belated Happy New Year to all of you, my lovely constant listeners. I hope your holidays were as fabulous as you are and that you ate, drank, and made merry. I know I did, God help me. I do have to apologize for the lateness of this Christmas-themed episode, however. I meant to get it out several days ago. My intention was to have it drop in time for Christmas, yada, yada, yada. As the saying goes, man proposes and God disposes. But anyway, today's episode is one near and dear to my heart, as we are talking about Christmas in New Mexico, my home state, and the unique and wonderful foods and traditions we Nuevo Mexicanos have each year to ring in the season. As my blog followers and podcast listeners probably know by now, the late great author Rodolfo Anaya is my favorite writer, and he was also a dear friend and mentor. His book, The Farolitos of Christmas, offers an origin story on how our favorite New Mexico tradition, the farolito, or Luminaria, depending on which New Mexico native you ask, came into being. In the book, the young girl, Luce, is celebrating Christmas in 1940s, sorry, 1940s northern New Mexico, where her father is serving in World War II. Her grandmother has always traditionally cut the wood for the holiday luminarias, which are small bonfires lit on Christmas Eve to light the way for the Christ child to come and be reborn. Anyway, Luce's grandfather becomes ill and cannot chop the needed wood, so Luce comes up with the brilliant idea of putting small candles into mounds of sand inside paper bags to take the place of the luminarias, and hence the idea of the farolito came into being. The story is one of my absolute Christmas favorite stories on par with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol or even the song, famous song Feliz Navidad, although I must admit that that song makes me want to stab my eardrums out with a dull knife. So much do I hate it. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Prospero año y felicidad. Anyway, this episode features a very special guest, the owner of one of New Mexico's premier food networking and marketing groups. I am so very pleased and proud to welcome the founder of Los Foodies to the Cooking the Book stage. I want to welcome Eric to the Cooking the Books podcast. Eric, it's really awesome to have you here. If you could uh, take a little share, share a little bit about yourself and what Los Foodies does, that'd be awesome for the audience. Hi, my name is Eric Martinez, and I'm with LosFoodiesMagazine.com. We're a digital magazine that promotes New Mexico's food and beverage industry. So ranchers, farmers, chefs, restaurants, and everything in between. So we cover it all. Um, we're getting ready for a new launch here in January. Um, COVID uh, kind of set us back pretty yeah. much about 18 months, I would say, as far as our development and uh, growth. So we're really excited about the first, um, the first of the year. Uh, we're gonna be uh, going out and shooting uh, video interviews of all, all the food and beverage industry uh, professionals and business owners. Um, and just kind of get uh, uh, our, our, you know, get the community in the know with what all these different entities are doing. Uh, it'll be uh, regular content coming up on our website. So we're really excited about that. That is awesome. You have a great website. Eric, what was the inspiration for you to actually create Los Foodies? Well, I moved back from the Bay Area about 10 years ago and um, 
I, I was doing some volunteer work at Kitchen Angels, uh, helping uh, uh, make meals over there. And um, I was working with uh, private chefs here and there in Santa Fe as needed. And I, I really did want to get back in. That's my, my background is culinary my, or food and bev in, in the restaurant industry. Um, when I moved to the Bay Area, I worked for a dot com and it was all restaurant equipment supplies and uh, they were the biggest uh, warehouse in the Bay Area for uh, industry uh, cookware, all of that stuff. So I came back over here and I, I just uh, I, I was working in the, you know, in food and bev and I, I knew I wanted to do something digital. I, I knew I wanted to uh, utilize all the stuff that I had learned as far as, you know, web technologies and stuff still learning because it's all developing and changing on a daily basis, really. So uh, but it's it's moving exponentially that way. And um, and you're based, I started out, of, you're based I, out of Santa Fe, correct? Santa yeah, Fe, yeah. Yes, we're based out of Santa Fe. And uh, yeah, so that just kind of I, I wanted to do something different here. And um, I still do a little bit of food and bev stuff, but not so much anymore. No, that's all right. I think that's great. I think I mean, that's really, I think, amazing that you're doing that. And I think in particular, because of the fact that, you know, New Mexico is so known for its cuisine and Santa Fe in particular is a foodie, a foodie's dream. I mean, I love to go to Santa Fe just to eat. So I think what you're doing to promote the, the culinary scene, not just in Santa Fe, but statewide is really awesome. So that's that's terrific. And that's a perfect, it's a perfect time to do it. I think everybody, because of everybody being in lockdown, you know, so many people couldn't go anywhere. So I think a lot of us just stayed home and cooked and ate, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, you know, we really started to, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think that was, I think that's really good. And that was one of the positive things I felt, you know, yeah. is home cooking regularly. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, being that you and I are both native New Mexicans, what is your favorite uh, New Mexico food to cook or to eat and why? Um, I, I mean, anything that, you know, mom makes, you know, and if, there, if there's something there, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go out and eat it. Enchiladas, Spanish rice, mm -hmm. beans, uh, you know, homemade tacos, um, Frito pies were always a big plus. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and home cooking in general, I would say it's, yeah. it's New Mexico is definitely on the menu, but I love home cook, home oh, style. Yeah. So it sounds like your, sounds like your mom and her cooking have been a big influence on your life. I would say so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, her and my grandma, you know, all, everybody cooked, but yeah. mainly my mom, she was a good, she is a good cook. So. Oh, I bet. I've seen yeah, some of your uh, social media posts when you're having dinner at your mom's and I always get like, I always get all jealous. I want to invite myself over. Yeah. Well, I, I think the community needs more of that you oh, know yeah. i miss i miss having our events and you know oh, yeah. together and yeah. you know so i'm i'm hoping sometime soon we can start doing all of that again i think that's a great idea hopefully we'll be able to now in 2022 you know with hopefully kind of trying to come out of this this horrible pandemic we've been in for forever you know so but that's great that you have that you have that closest with your mom and the cooking um my grandmother is you know raised me for the most part she's the one who taught me how to make most of my new mexican food so uh i think i think that's something we both have in common you know we were taught to cook by these wonderful women in our lives and to learn how to make this classic food that you know is the ultimate comfort food but it's still it's still great new mexico food i think um Definitely. what uh, this is just an interesting topic i've come up upon recently talking about the idea of cultural appropriation and 
what it what it means in terms of food. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that there is such a thing as cultural appro appropriation when it comes to food, or are we just essentially using the same food and the same ingredients in different ways? Um, you know, I, I my brother said something a long time ago when we were in the Bay Area. Uh, he, he said, uh, you know, we're in New Mexico, we're landlocked. We don't have what other areas have. So I think, you know, culturally and regional, you know, we cook with what we have. Like over here, my grandparents, they grew tomatoes, corn, calabacitas, you know, they grew all their food. So I grew up, every time I went to my grandparents' house, it was food from the garden and they would send us stuff from the garden. So I, I believe that it's it's two part. Look, mm -hmm. Culturally, I mean, we carry those recipes down generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, there's there's New Mexico's all, New Mexican people all over the world, you yeah. know? So they're, they're, they're doing their, verse, their best version of what we have here. Yeah. And and in uh, entertaining their friends and yeah. that's what we did in the Bay Area and anywhere yeah. I did I was we always shared our food culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, I think you could argue it both ways. I think for for New Mexico culture in particular, uh, because it is so built on a combination of both the food from, you know that was native to you know this continent plus the food that was brought over by the Spaniards. And then, you know, you have the influence of the, um, the crypto Jews that came over as well. And I was reading a book set in the 1700s, it was historical fiction in, uh, in America. And one of the foods that they mentioned was succotash. And I realized, well, I didn't actually ever really know what that was. So I looked it up. It's essentially calabacitas. It's mm -hmm. corn and it's squash cooked together with onions and the only thing missing is the green chili, but that kind of started me thinking about the whole idea of like, you know, are we appropriating somebody else's culture when we cook something or are we just, are we just kind of using the same ingredients other cultures have used in just different ways. So it's, I just always think, it makes me think about, you know, cooking and food in, in that way. I, I love to cook and I love to eat. And <laughs> so I, you know, it's always interesting to see what other cultures are doing, but I always think we have a lot more similarities than differences as, as oh, yeah. people who cook. A thing that I, I want to know about, and I was, I like to ask people this question because it gives you such a, a good a window into their soul, so to speak. If you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would they be and why? And what would you cook? Uh, probably my grandparents. That's two of them. They both died in a tragic car accident. Oh, so I would love to, you know, cook for them and um i don't know the third one you know i mean there's i'm not a, a big fan of of pop culture i yeah. i am more into family and people and you know just because they bear a title doesn't it's not a big thing to me i mean there's yeah. there's a lot of family people that i'll never see you will never see again so yeah. and my grandmother she just she did she died she passed away dur during covid so Oh, she, I'm so sorry. she was good. She would have been 102 in May. She she died right before, and wow. she was already getting old. I think she really died of isolation. I you know, so of, I think that's been the case with a lot of people. It was one of those unintended consequences of having to having to be so so isolated. It, you yeah. know, we, as human beings, we're very sociable creatures, and even even you know even people who are maybe not as sociable as others, still you still need that human connection. 
Yeah, yeah. Whether so, you're you cooking know, or you're, you know, eating together. And I think that's why we've seen such a, a huge surge in, in people getting restaurants now that people have been you know, able to go out more. Is, is I think people have missed that very basic so, thing so. Of, of sitting down and, sh and sharing a meal with somebody. Yeah, you know, um, I wanted to say this earlier. Food in general, cooking, if you're cooking for a friend or cooking for somebody that you're trying to make amends with, Food is a, the national, the, it, there's no boundaries with that food language. It can yeah. break a lot of barriers and, you know, help, help process, you know, mm -hmm. so I like, I like a lot of aspects of food, you know, even uh, the garden, when I talk to gardeners, they're so like calm because they're like in alignment with the food and growing it. There's something yep. to that. So mm -hmm. It's kind of, I'm very excited about this year's, um, we're going to go to a lot of, of gardens and ranches and farms and yeah. so, well, I'm excited about that. Yeah, no. Well, and I think, it, I mean, it's very calming when you work in a garden, you know, you're, you're kind of, at, yeah. you're kind of at one with the earth, you know, you're, you're, you're working with your hands and you're thinking, but you're not thinking in the in the same way that maybe you're like if you're having to write an article or you're doing something to you know, breathe a little you know exactly. you know you're really kind of in your I think when you work in a garden you know and the fact that you're growing food for yourself and for other people I mean that in a way is like a it's kind of a form of love like cooking yeah. it you know yeah, you're, you're doing definitely. something that you're going to share with somebody else and I, I always think that for me that's that's probably the one of the main reasons I love to cook so much, and maybe it's one of the reasons you like to cook, is because you're cooking for other people and you're sharing like your love for them. Yeah, I, and I'll be honest with you, since I've been working on those foodies, I haven't really cooked as much as I used to, you know? So like, uh, yeah, it's, when I do cook, I definitely enjoy it. Yeah. Know? What's your favorite thing to cook just for yourself? I like green chili, I'm right now, I, I, when I get asked this question, it's whatever I feel in the moment. So like oh, right sure. now I'm craving a really good green chili cheeseburger. Mm, that sounds so good. With a lot of mayo. Oh, Nothing I know, right? You, got, you have <laughs> yeah. to. You have yeah. to. I, that's so funny you say that. Um, I was talking to uh, uh, one of my ex-boyfriends the other day and we used to go, we were, we were together in our 20s. So it was a while back. <laughs> but one of the things that we used to love to eat for lunch was uh, green chili cheeseburgers from Sonic with mayonnaise and I we were both dying laughing we we're like can you imagine eating something like that now in our in our 40s our late 40s and we were just dying laughing like how did we even do that but the just the thought of a, a green chili cheeseburger with mayonnaise sounds so good I shouldn't yeah. have, I shouldn't have scheduled this interview with you before lunchtime I'm starving now that's funny yeah oh god green chili cheeseburgers with mayonnaise that's 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 Twist, a great that's, you know, that's messy, a great, messy that's sandwich. A great mm -hmm, absolutely. What would be uh, your ultimate last meal? Last meal, I thought about that. Uh, a, a really good steak with a good chimichurri and charred toast, char charred bread, and uh, a really good salad. I, yeah. I, you know, just a perfect steak the way I like it. Just yeah. everything perfect. Yeah, and that, I think that would be a great last meal. I think that sounds good to me. <laughs> my, mine would be um, my grandmother's uh, green chili chicken enchiladas, but they would have oh, to yeah. be specifically made by her. She just had she had a certain way of making them. I, I cannot, I can't re replicate it. I've tried. Oh really? I don't know what she did, but hers were just out of this world. And 
that's what I would request every year for on my birthday. She would always make us whatever we wanted on our birthday. So I would always request green chili, chicken enchiladas, and she made wonderful apple pie from scratch. So I had apple pie a la mode. Oh, yeah. Apple pie a la mode. Doesn't that sound good? So that would, I think yeah, they would be like, pies. Oh, I know, homemade right? Pies. Um, so my mom's really into um, tanning and, you know, she kind of carried that tradition that her, her parents or that they that generation had because of you know the um the i'm having a brain but okay. in the third 20 30 in the 30s when you know the economy you know they only oh, have the, during the depression yeah the depression mm -hmm. and um you know so like I, I i keep telling her you know we need to capture that on video like canning and mm -hmm. making pies and I, I remember when we were kids, uh, I think she made like 16 pies, uh, oh peach God. pie, and wow. froze them, in, froze them in, in the freezer. Mm -hmm. So my mom did all of that. That's so amazing. And she retires did in your, August. Did your mom want to adopt me? <laughs> she, she retires in August, so I'm hoping. I, I I've been talking to her about a video series. You know, I August. Think that's a fantastic idea. And yeah, it's like canning. You know, that's yeah. almost, that's almost a lost art in a way. You know, you don't hear about a lot of people canning much these days. She made beef jerky. Beef, oh. she's been, yeah, oh, she's been dehydrating, and I told her, you know, August is fall. That's when harvest starts happening. Yeah, you know, we could we could do something every weekend, you know. So we'll That's see. It's, it's a lot of work. But. You know, you know, my podcast is based on uh, the concept of uh, food and uh, literature, food and books. That's why it's called Cooking the Books. And you know, the book that I'm going to be talking about uh, today is the Farolitas of Christmas by Rodolfo Anaya, which is, you know, very, in my opinion, very quintessentially New Mexico, but you were talking about harvesting in the fall. And it reminded me of a scene from his book, Bless Me Ultima, when the main character goes to his, uh, grandparents' house, they live, they live up near, uh, Santa Rosa. And he just does this beautiful chapter on, you know, they're harvesting in the fall, they're bringing in the corn, they're bringing in the apples, you know, and it just, what you were talking about, you know, doing a series of a video series of your mom doing that in the fall i thought that was an awesome idea but it just brought that to mind yeah that's awesome you know and it's like clockwork in the fall everybody you know growing up we went we started school we went yeah. for wood um go go elk hunting so the first time i so the, the book that i that i'm going to be discussing uh, as part of this podcast is the farolitas of christmas by rodolfo and i like i had said and in it there is a section where the main character is helping her mother make bizcochitos, and that was the kind of the inspiration for me to make them for the first time about um, six years ago. And uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your own family's bizcochito recipe because I'm sure you have one. Okay, so I am looking at about five dozen bizcochitos, different sizes, <laughs> and stars. so my mom's a nice. my mom's a really good bizcochito maker. She every year she makes a ton, and yeah. uh, I heard her talking the other day with one of her friends about how she's trying a new recipe for seven dozen. Uh huh. So my mom tests recipe. She's going to test that recipe, and I'm mm -hmm. sure. I think a lot of it too is also by. You know the the person making it. You know they have their own technique, yep. and, and I mean there's so many good biscochitos out there. I mean, I even know. the bad ones are good. You know, so I know. I mean, it's <laughs> you know, I mean for all the for all the different ways that people make biscochitos. You know, if you use lard, you use shortening. I, some people use butter. 
whiskey, you use brandy, you use wine, orange juice, milk. There's no wrong Come way. Yeah, there's no wrong way to make these tochitos. They're all just kind of variations on a on a theme. Did your family? Did your, I think the theme yeah. is the, the anise and the, the what anise. was the name of? There, there was a cutout that they used to do. It was a, it was the French. The fleur de lis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fleur de lis. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, they. I think the the anise and the fleur de lis is yeah. a theme, right? Yeah. Originally, quote I think, unquote. I, I agree. Well, I've had people ask me, you know, can you make them without anise? And I was like, no, they're not going to be biscochitos at that point. They're going to be something like else. a shortbread. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the anise. I think it's the anise and then the dipping and the sugar and the cinnamon that make them. Yes, you have to and you have to time it right. Exactly. Well, I, I've seen big um, biscochito machines that pump out, you know, mm -hmm a lot of cookies at a time and you know i've seen the small operation where mm -hmm. it's all handmade so biscochitos uh you know i've seen them in milkshakes you know all over it's yeah. part of the culture here you know um, mm -hmm. i haven't had a biscochito milkshake though I, I i haven't tried one but i've seen them there's even a biscochito flavored uh coffee that you can get oh wow the holidays yeah yeah and then there's a place uh here in albuquerque that will make a biscochito latte, which is like so good. Oh, wow. That sounds uh -huh. great. I know, right? See, that's, you'll have to add that to your uh, list of places to go for those foodies. Go and get a yeah. biscochito latte. Yeah. We'll have to go out sometime and go check out some well, stuff in Albuquerque. Let's do it. There's, so, there's so much in Albuquerque. I, I, I know. There really is. There really is. There's, it's a, it's there's a, a guy in, in the South Valley, I think, um, that uh, grows blackberries. Okay. Yes. Do you know the guy? No. It's a really cool farm. Oh man, you walk in there and there's like blackberries all over, honey, oh, wow. like bees. I don't know what kind of bees, but they're it's it's really cool little. Oh, very cool. Oh yeah, I'd love to. Next time you're in Albuquerque, let me know. We'll go. We'll go be foodies together. Sounds good to okay, me. Okay, I love that idea. <laughs> What's the uh, for you? I know that we were talking about bizcochitos. Those for me are sort of the ultimate. Christmas food for New Mexico. Uh, is there for you? What is there another food for you that is like represents Christmas and the holidays? Uh, I like uh, my mom makes this brittle. It's really good. She does she does all kinds of cooked baked goodies. So like I'm telling you, your mom needs to adopt me. I want to be adopted. Yeah. I want to be adopted she, by your yeah, mom. Yeah, you guys will have to work it out. <laughs> Tell her, mom, you need a daughter and I need a sister. <laughs> she, she's a very, like, she, you know, she's very uh, uh, easy to talk to and, mm -hmm. and, and very person, personable awesome. person. Everybody, all her friends love her, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very, I'm glad you still have your mom. Like, my mom passed away a couple of years ago. and Oh, uh, see. She, she made really good biscochitos as well. In fact, she had a recipe that was passed down from my, for my great grandmother, so she passed okay. it on to my sister. My sister kind of, kind of holds the crown for making the best biscochitos in our family. So, okay. so, so I'm I'm second to her, which is that's all right. I, I, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, you know what? No, I mean it though. I mean, there's no wrong way to make biscochitos. I think I think it's like anything else. You really put a little of your own personality and your your own heart into what you cook, and I think. Biscochitos reflect that, you know. I think they should be have some variety, you know. I like to use a lot of whiskey in mine, and she, my sister, uses sweet wine, and so we have, you know, we have a good time 
just sharing our methods and stuff. But I mean, her way is good. My way is good. And they're, they're, they're I think they're all, I think all, they're all good. And they all represent, I think I, they all represent our family's, our family soul. Well, I, I, I want to hear what, what like represents like New Mexico Christmas to you. I'd like to hear what, what your version I think, is. I think, you know, for me. There's so much to it, you know. I know, I know. Oh. For me, the things that represent Christmas are, the most are okay obviously bizcochitos um pozole christmas eve you can't have christmas eve without pozole and tamales and it's funny because you know those are things that you can get any time of year at any new mexico restaurant and now and i never eat them other than christmas because yeah. for me they're like i don't know it's kind of like it, it kind of takes away the the romance of it if that makes any sense like if, if i were eating pozole all the time during the year or eating uh, bizcochitos or having tamales, I wouldn't enjoy them as much during Christmas. You know, those to me are like, that's like, it wouldn't be Christmas without those three things. They're like, yeah. the, whole, they're like the holy trinity of, of Christmas food in New Mexico. The bizcochito, yeah. the tamale, and the pozole. Yeah, there, there's nothing like going to a house with all, all of that on one table and yep. you make a plate and you get it all, like you said, it's, it's, it takes away the, if you have it every day, it's not as, as special. Yeah. On the I think you appreciate it of. when you only have it once or twice a year, you know? Oh, the other thing that I love and I only have it once a year and, and I have it on New Year's is, um, um, of course I just went blank, um, chicharrones. Chicharrones. Yeah. Those, that to me, is, that to me is uh, New Year's. And, and those are delicious too yeah they are and, and that's a perfect example of something you don't want to be eating ever can you imagine eating yeah so so that to me is what christmas is in terms of food and and of course you know you have your farolitos or your luminarias you know don't depending on who you ask you know so those those to me are, are christmas you know right there and, and and i think that's why i like christmas so much is you know here in new mexico it is very unique you know, you don't, you don't really see a lot of that stuff in any other place in, in this, in this world. I think, you know, we have the farolitos, we have the posadas, then we have those three unique foods that are, you know, I think that's why Christmas in New Mexico is such a special, special thing. Yeah. It's, are... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's just a, a good time of year. You know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a good time of year. It is. It is. Yeah. And it was never, I was never much into Christmas when I was young. You know, Christmas, you know, as I'm sure you probably know, sometimes can be difficult with family drama and things like that. But as I've gotten older and, and I've, you know, started kind of making my own traditions as an adult, I think I enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot that comes with Christmas, that's for sure. Right? <laughs> family good, drama good too. Good and bad, that's for sure. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what is for you, for you being a, a foodie from New Mexico? In your opinion, what is the most recognizable New Mexico food like? If you were talking to somebody from out of state and they like Frito pies, our Frito pies, yeah, Frito pies, green chili cheeseburgers. No one else has them <laughs> with lots of mayonnaise. With lots of mayonnaise and cheese. Oh, yeah. Lots of Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, that's that. To, to me, yeah, that's, that's our version of a smash burger. You know, right? I know. I know it is. The Frito pie. And now, God, I remember uh, I grew up in Santa Fe until I was about, I don't know. No, that's years. right. You were saying. Mm -hmm. And so I remember we always used to go to the, well, it was a Woolworth. And then I think now it's a five and dime in the plaza. And I remember it was always like a big deal to go and get uh, 
a, you know, a Frito pie. And I went, I was there in the summer for Spanish market and then I uh, taken a friend who had never been. And so we had one and she was like, oh, these are so good. And then we were remembering that interview with um, Anthony Bourdain where he, oh, was, yeah. and, he and he like trash talked the, the Frito pie. And everybody, yeah, started everybody, a lot. It was so funny. I know. Right. And you know, and I love, I love Anthony Bourdain. You oh, know? me too. He was I very inspirational. Him. But I remember reading yeah. it and I was like, hey, hey, don't be trash talking our Frito pie, man. <laughs> he was definitely very inspirational to me early in my cooking yeah. not cooking but food and bev culinary oh, sure. yeah yeah culinary yeah. he was very inspirational for me in terms of um writing because I, mm. I i love to write but i never really thought about doing it uh or even doing a blog for that matter until i read a kitchen confidential and i started like it was just so cool to read about all of those different different experiences that he had and and he, i don't know he kind of made it I don't want to say he glamorized it because I don't think he did. I think he he showed the reality of of the of the food world, but yeah. like it's almost like he made it okay to kind of indulge your little your little weirdness and your your little freak side. And so I thought that was very cool what he did, and it kind of inspired me to like you know hey if there's you know this wide variety of of, of craziness out there, then I can just add my voice to it as a writer. And well, you know that like those pioneers. You know, and then we now we have the technology with the internet that yeah. it, it makes it easy for, you know, anyone that wants, has a passion for anything, whether it's food or whatever, they can kind of yeah. tell their story yeah. with technology. It's kind of nice. It is. You don't have to, you know, go knocking on doors and literary agents and try to get a book published like in the old days. You can self-publish if you want. You can, you know, there's many, many different ways to do it. So, yeah, I think technology in that sense has been very beneficial and, you know, and, and bringing us voices like Tony Bourdain's, you know, that, that, you know, he opened this, he opened these doors for people that had previously yeah. not been open. And it's, it's, a, it was such a tragedy when he died. Um, still, still is, still hurts my heart. Ugh. Anyway, a light, not to another light, lighter topic. So you have been working in the food, uh, food industry for many, many years. If you were going to give somebody the ultimate uh, piece of advice in terms of cooking, what would your ultimate cooking advice be or your cooking tip? Well, I'm not really a chef. So I were in the food and beverage, beverage industry. I've worked front of house, back of house, mm -hmm. bartending, the whole thing. So like I, I've done it all. And cooking tip, how about a bar tip? That works. A bar tip and a, a, a bar tip and a cooking tip. Let's so I like to drink too. So <laughs> in the kitchen, you know, have everything ready so you could do your 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 process and not have to go back and forth. Uh, you know, you want to get all your mise en place. Mise en place. Mise en place. Yes. Things in place and have it all there. Finish your process and put it up and clean as you go with the same thing with bar, yeah. you know, with the bar, you have glasses coming in, orders coming out mm -hmm. and you're making order of drinks for your bar and the restaurant. So you definitely want to be organized, concise, and definitely yeah. have all your mise en place mm -hmm. in place, yeah. all your liquor, you know, shine those bottles up and, and also have a great personality to work your bar and 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 get your tips because it's yeah. that's what it is. It's like showtime, sure, you know, sure. when you're at the bar. Yeah, 
And that makes sense. And you know, actually that's really good advice for anybody who's cooking at home as well. I mean, you're going to save yourself a lot of time, a lot of energy, and probably a lot of grief if you have everything ready before you start to cook. And that you kind of, that kind of ties in with my cooking advice I always give to people is, is read the recipe, read the recipe through at least twice before you start to cook. Don't just open the cookbook and start cooking because I guarantee you it's not going to come out. Okay. You, you need you to, have to process there. too. And you need to make sure you have everything because oftentimes yeah. you're, you're like, oh, that recipe sounds really good. I mean, that was a classic mistake I made when I first started cooking. I thought, oh, I can make that. Then you get started and you're like, oh, shoot, I don't have, you know, unsalted butter. or I don't have, you know, I don't have this herb or that spice. And so, yeah, so it, you know, goes hand in hand with what you were saying, you know, have everything ready and prepared beforehand, whether you are working in a bar or working in a restaurant or working from home. Excellent, excellent, excellent tip, Eric. I like that one. Thank you. Um, I had one more, oh, yeah. one more tip. Yeah. Uh, you know, cooks, cooks, uh, there are cooks out there that tend to salt on the weak side. And I, I heard a, a chef say one time, you know, you could tell a chef by their salt, their salt content in their dish. You know, if it, if it feels like it needs salt, it probably does. And, you know, I, I like salt. So like, you know, I like cooks that have a little, a little more hand in salt in their hand and, and really make that food flavorful. It's a conductor to the taste buds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. I agree with you. Um, that's, I think, always why uh, it's a good idea if when you're making something sweet to add a little bit of salt. Um, yeah. That's a little tip that I uh, got from my grandmother, speaking of bizcochitos, to always add a little bit of salt. And I started, I use um, sea salt, like the bigger pieces. Oh, like yeah, sea salt's perfect and for you, that. It really is. Like, it really conducts the sweetness of the sugar. But it also gives a nice offset to the anise and the cinnamon. I mean, I'm t- telling you, adding a pinch of, and I think like a pretty generous pinch of sea salt is uh, to your to anything sweet is an excellent, um, another excellent good cooking tip. So, yeah, I like I like chefs that put a little salt and, and spice into their food as well. I think I think that to me shows that you're competent in your ability. Yeah, that's you know what exactly yeah. how much salt to put in your food. You're not being cautious you're not being scared you're being like yeah i know this needs some salt there you go yeah. and then of course you know as any good cook or chef knows you taste as you go so that's another part mm-hmm. of it as well so you can always adjust your seasoning yeah excellent yeah good 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 advice eric um so you know the probably the most uh important question of all that i can ask you of anything is you know classic red or green red Okay. And here's why. So green, um, I love green. I always like green. I don't turn it down. Yeah. But the reason why my, my favorite is red is because it's easy to make. Um, it's, it's red and the flavor is just different from green. Um, and it's ripened to me, you know, it's if good. If it's good red chili with, you know, and it's, ground really nicely there's different kinds of ground grounds of red chili from here you know yeah um and that's what part of my journey this next summer is to go out and find all these people because there's so many different people making their own even if it's just for their family yeah they still are doing it for them so i love i love red chili it goes on everything for me nice but i'll eat green too (laughs) you know and we were talking about how salt is a conductor for certain 
certain flavors. I actually think red chili is a good flavor conductor as well. I mean, more so I think than green. I think green is good in its own way. And I'm a green girl. I love, I'll take okay. green over red any day. But I've started um, experimenting with red chili recently, making my own, you know, boiling the pods and then making my own sauce. And it's a lot of fun. It's actually, mm -hmm. I, I never wanted to do it because it seemed like it was very labor intensive and I love doing it now. But um, one of the things that I'm work I'm actually going to work on this weekend, uh, speaking of red chilies, I'm entering a baking contest. So I'm going to make uh, goat cheese, pumpkin, and red chili empanadas. Using mm. I know, right? Doesn't that sound good? Nice, yeah. With garlic. So uh, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll be, posting nice. some, I'll be posting some pictures and online. Okay. I'll, I'll let you know how they come out, and I'll let do you know how I do in my baking contest. So I might win some money. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you do a lot of experimenting with recipes? Yeah. Uh, okay yeah yeah the majority of the recipes on my um my food blog um they're based on food mentions in, in literature but oftentimes the actual recipes are like just stuff i've come up with on my own like i did a, a blog post on the book the silence of the lambs and oh yeah all, i saw we, that we all, yeah we all remember you know the classic line in the in the movie about you know says I, dr hannibal lecter says he ate his, his liver with fava beans and a nice chianti and I thought, yeah. I want to make, so I made pate of uh, chicken liver with uh, fava beans. And it was, yeah. and it was delicious. Oh, I bet. A friend, uh, some friends of mine came over to, to share the meal with me. And uh, he, it's a couple, I've known them for years. And he is the, um, he's a manager at Savoy in Albuquerque. And, you know, Savoy is excellent oh. food. And yeah. he, he actually said that that pate was something that they would serve on the menu. So, of course, I was like super flattered. So, but wow. that's, yeah, that's just something I kind of came up with on my own. That's um, cool. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we're talking about Rudolfo Anaya and his books. I've blogged several of Rudolfo Anaya's books because I love him so much. One of the things that I made, you know, actually came from the book, Bless Me Ultima. I made uh, blue, blue corn cakes with poached eggs and green chili on top. Mm. I, came, I came up with that on my own because I, I was trying to make something with blue corn because in the book, there's a scene where they're talking about atole which I don't like. It's too sweet for me. And so I yeah. thought, well, I'm going to do something savory. So I made blue corn cakes with poached eggs and green chili, and they were quite delicious, if I do say so myself. So that's another example of something that I came up with on my own. And I do see your posts on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's maybe where I see your stuff yeah. on Instagram. So yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. You, you're, I like what you're doing. That's, Thank that's you. great. Thank you. I, I love it. I really do love to cook. It's a uh, it's very calming. It's very, uh, very Zen. Um, and I didn't start to cook until later in life. It was funny because my mom and my grandma were both amazing cooks like your mom, but neither of them were very patient. So they were the kind of, like, they were, they were not the kind of cooks that would like show you how to do something and walk you through it. They were like, if you didn't do it right on the first time, they would just kick you out of the kitchen and, <laughs> yeah. and do it themselves, yeah. you know, so I kind of had to learn to make a lot of this stuff on my own. And I think that's a good, that's actually, I think the best way to learn is, you know, it's second best way. If you're not learning at your grandmother or your, your mother's, you know, me, so to speak, the next best way is just to start try and make your own stuff because I, and I also think that's a good way to develop your own palate. That's how you know what you like. Do you like more cheese? Do you like more garlic? Do you like things more sweet? And that's kind of how I have uh, kind of developed my own palate over the years is, is teaching myself how to cook. I, I like to go to like, I remember going to graduation parties, events, and everybody, you know, the, they, they either catered it or everybody in the family made a dish and, um, or funerals even. Yes. And, you know, 
I, I was kind of like, sometimes it was a dud and then there was most of the time there was really good ones, you know, but, but the, the, yeah, there's, you're seeing all of these different variations of the same foods that you, you, you like or make or have within yeah. or similar foods, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no. And, and that's true. And that's actually, that's actually another, I think, kind of in, in interesting cultural connection with food is, is, you know, in, in our families, you know, that's what we do. You cook and you take food to birthday parties. You cook and you take food to funerals. You cook and take food to any kind of celebration. Like you were saying, a graduation party. Um, potlucks, church potlucks. Yeah. Even in, in some cases, uh, small weddings, like small weddings at somebody's home. Yeah. So yeah. and that's another good, and that's a, that's a really good way to also share recipes and get ideas from other people. You know, you have a certain way of cooking something you know, the way that, you know, in my family, you know, there's certain ways of cooking certain things. Like we have fideos, like, or vermicelli as my grandmother calls it. And she has her way of making it. Some people- yeah, like I didn't it. grow up with fideo. No? I didn't grow up with that. It's not big culturally here in Santa Fe. I didn't, I don't remember my I friends. Think I think it's more of a Southern New okay. Mexico thing because it's, um, it's pretty prevalent in uh, a lot of the- um, the, the people that I knew who are of Mexican origin who live in El Paso and kind of migrated oh, okay. up north. Um, Las Cruces. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's very popular in Las Cruces. Yeah, I, it, you know, in my whole growing up, I didn't see it anywhere in northern New Mexico, Santa Fe, Española, yeah. uh, yeah. Taos. I don't remember of... seeing it up north when I when I was growing up in Santa Fe either. But my grandmother made it all the time, and we, and you know, she's in, in Albuquerque. And um, we loved it. Like she, poor thing, she can't cook it anymore. This is my dad's mom because she's, you know, 96 and doesn't get around well anymore. But I still remember to the, like to this day how every time she was going to make what we called vermicelli uh, or fideo, we would get so excited, you know, because I just, that's it's so good. Um, you know who makes really good fideo is Cocina Azul on Mountain Road. And oh, okay, yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah, they make fantastic fideo if you ever are, you know, give that place a try. I, 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 oh, I definitely know them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with the internet and Facebook and all these other platforms, you know, fideo became mainstream. And I know a lot of people here in Santa Fe now make it. So, yeah. you, I mean, it, 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 it People got kind of like the birria tacos. Yeah. Uh, I had those when I lived in Tucson in 93 or 94. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, 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 that, that version was good. I mean, that, that was definitely, and that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I never had it again. So now that now everybody's thinking it, yeah. Yeah. And something else that I remember um, having uh, when I was younger that has become a big thing more up north now is... Um, uh tacos de lengua like i don't ever remember having lengua as a little girl i saw it i saw it but it was not something uh my palate was just not there with yeah, that yeah. kinds of minced meats and all that um but yeah i i, I definitely saw it i i went for the peach empanadas and you know oh, yeah. the, the the sweet ones oh, but yeah, those, sure. the, meat, the, the meats were definitely there the cow uh head cheese um yeah no. the cow cheese yeah. yeah no not me not me for that i remember i remember it growing up it was like made from brains right cow yeah, brains that's, that's yeah. why it's called head cheese and it's ugh, gross 
<laughs> you know, and then I also like every year we would kill a calf. So I, my dad killed the calf mm -hmm. and then we would skin, you know, skin it, quarter it, hang it. Yeah. Kind of like and then we would take it to the butcher. Yeah. To the butcher. We didn't make any cheese out of that, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, we had, every, we had a freezer. That's how my parents did it growing up. We yeah. had a freezer full. We had a, a lamb and a half of a calf mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Growing up as a family, we didn't yeah. get our meat from the store. No, I know, you know, and that's actually something that is coming back from what I understand with a lot of people um, that I actually have some friends who uh, have purchased, um, they have purchased uh, some animals and they pay a farm in the South Valley here in Albuquerque to, to maintain their animals, to take care of it. And then, oh, really? and then they, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, and this started during COVID when, do you remember sort of at the beginning of COVID when everybody was losing their minds and buying yeah. like 50 rolls of toilet paper and there were like shortages of meat. I mean, it was insane. It was just crazy. I had never seen anything. I was moving like out of my office in Albuquerque mm -hmm. to Santa Fe because I was like, downtown was kind of crazy too. You know, there's- yes, I remember. Downtown. I remember. So, so I got, I came back to Santa Fe yeah. when that happened. Yeah. No, I mean, that's good that you were able to, to relocate. I know a lot of people thought about that as well like there wasn't an option but that the the, cra the craziness of, of like the meat shortage was something that um these friends of mine started talking about and they started thinking well maybe it would be more sustainable rather than going to the store and buying you know meat to actually raise our own meat and and have somebody who's a qualified you know you know i don't i don't know what you call them uh, it'd be like a co-op wouldn't it and like yeah. you know you, ha you have the caretaker yeah and then everybody pays That's really know. what it is and so i love that so idea I, man I do because too. And it, then it, it works for us in the urban yeah. areas yeah wow yeah. That's and, and especially if you're trying to like eat more sustainably and like if you're trying to grow your own vegetables and try to cut back on on you know environmental waste you know you have having having that opportunity is really great so with the, and then yeah, the, guy that, that, the guy that runs the farm he makes some good money on it because he rents he rents out the space on the farm he takes care of the animals he does the the butchering and then they take it like you were saying like your parents did they take it to the butcher and then they make the cuts of meat and then that's how they stocked up their freezer for the year so it's been so, so would i be able to go there with like and then you're, you're, let's say you're involved with that. And then there's a few other people we could all split like a, a lamb, a, a calf and just kind of. Yeah, that's how a lot of people do it because. I think a lot that's of better than. Have, well, like I, I don't have the, I would not need an entire cow. And that's a cow. family. Yeah. yeah half, half was for us as a, there's five of us. Yeah. But you know, I don't need a half either. I just need, you know, I. I like to get a, we, I think the last one, yeah, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. My family has uh, livestock and all that up north. Yeah. Um, I, so. That might even be something you should, you could look into with your family and suggest it up there. I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure, you know, there's probably a big market. Yeah, there. there's, there's a lot of, that's what I've, I'm really working on this next year is really connecting mm -hmm. with the people that are uh, doing that sustainable living you know i feel like you know if let's just say the, the supply chains break like they've been saying and our power goes out you know well what's our plan b and i like being having us at los foodies as a resource to connect yeah make that connection mm -hmm. for everybody no i think that's i think i think the work that you do in connecting people in the food industry whether it's restaurants whether it's 
people who grow and sell their own food, whether it's people who, you know, bakeries, whatever. I think that's wonderful. I think what you do with Los Foodies is, is just such a great community resource. And I think, you know, what I, you know, what I think I like about it the most is that it's not, it's not like a lot of other food publications, like, I'm sorry, Edible New Mexico, or I, I think they're very like kind of snobby. And I think they're, you know, maybe like that on purpose. But I, what I like is that your, your, what you do is it's accessible to everybody. And I love, yes. I, love, I, love uh, you know. I love the way, I love how you do that. That's so, that's great. Eric, if you could pick any place in New Mexico, no matter where to eat or drink, where would you, where would you want to go? Well, I really like Chef Ryan uh, Romero from the Ranchers Club. Yes. Um, he is amazing. Um, his food is very, very unique. His plate presentation is awesome. He uses really good ingredients. The bar inside is amazing. Uh, it's kind of like cowboy themed, like yeah. Old West themed, but in an elegant, tasteful way. And it's just a great place to go have some good drinks, um, wine. They have a great wine list. And the man is uh, really off the hook. So I I would definitely go there. Okay, that's great. That's a good one. That's I my new favorite place. Okay, okay. So they're gonna. It sounds like they're having a, a little bit of a renaissance because uh, I had I had heard that the Ranchers Club at some point was gonna close or had closed. Um, yeah, they had they had some stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's funny because when I was growing up. The Ranchers Club was always this very like high end, and I, it, I'm sure it still is. But it always it always had a reputation of being just for like a bunch of old fuddy daddies. Like it was not like it was not considered like hip. It was not where anybody you know young or up and coming would you know would go go and be seen. It was like you know like you said, it was a Ranchers Club. You know, cattlemen and you know just very wealthy and very. And you probably know more than I do because you know I I've recently discovered it. Uh, probably like well not recently probably about seven years ago but they've been around for a long time right yeah they've been around for years and years and years uh they were they were the place to go when i was in high school uh like you know if you were going to go to prom or homecoming that's where you wanted your date to take you and your poor date was going to probably have to hit up mom and dad for a big old loan (laughs) yeah yeah thank you so much it's been a pleasure interviewing you i really enjoyed having you be on the cooking the books podcast talking about your favorite new mexico food and your favorite christmas food uh Thank you so much for being part of it. It was really special having you be here. Thank you so much. I had a great time. This was a, I, I would say this was more like a lovely conversation than that's, it was an interview. That's the idea. That's, that's, <laughs> so those that's, are good. That's, that's what I want. I want people to feel like we're having a nice, just sit down conversation of, about food and, and in my case, food and literature. So uh, I'd like to have you back at some point. I'm sure we, I'm sure okay. we can find lots more to talk about. Yes, most definitely. All right, Thank Eric. You Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wasn't that just a wonderful conversation? Eric is such a marvelous foodie that I could have gone on gabbing with him for another hour or five. It makes me so happy to talk with my fellow New Mexicans who love food and tradition and the holidays as much as I do. And speaking of which, my dear Nana Jean's Christmas bizcochitos are on the menu today. She made them incomparably well, and the taste of them is like nostalgia come to life. I miss her terribly every day, but particularly around the holidays because she enjoyed Christmas so much. She did all the decorating and baking and cooking and gift wrapping and went all out. Since she died, my heart has definitely gone out of the holidays. 
Though this year was quite special as I had my very first Christmas tree in my very first house that I've ever owned in my adult life. Though Christmas Eve really did suck ass in my family, Christmas Day, done on my own terms in my very own house with my friends, was perhaps the Christmas Day I've always wanted to have and the best one I've had in years. We ate, drank, exchanged gifts, made merry, and indulged in a wonderful Italian-themed meal that I cooked, topped off with scotch, whiskey, and biscochitos. Now, if that's not a contribution to multiculturalism, I don't know what is. Anyway, here is my dear Nana's method for her famous biscochitos, tweaked a bit by yours truly. So for this recipe, you will need two cups of lard, one cup of shortening, two eggs, eight cups of flour, three cups of sugar, three heaping tablespoons of baking powder, one generous tablespoon of anise seeds, two to three splashes of anise extract, one generous tablespoon of vanilla extract, about a cup of whiskey, a teaspoon of sea salt, and another cup of sugar and one of cinnamon mixed together. And this is what you do. First, you wanna preheat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you are going to cream together the lard and the shortening. For this, you can use a hand mixer or just stir with a spoon if they are soft enough, or you can be lazy like me and use a KitchenAid stand mixer with a paddle attachment. You'll wanna mix at about speed four. So crack in the eggs and pour in the sugar and cream these together with the lard and the shortening another three to four minutes. At this point, you wanna add in your anise seeds, your anise extract and vanilla and mix to incorporate. In a separate bowl, you'll wanna mix up your dry ingredients. Combine the flour, the baking powder and the sea salt and one spoonful at a time, gradually mix these dry ingredients into the lard egg sugar mixture. Alternate the dry ingredients with splashes of whiskey so that your dough starts to form. You don't want it super dry, but you also don't want it to be so sticky that it won't cohere. Now, I've been making these cookies so long that I go by eye, but if this is your maiden voyage making biscochitos, just use the two to one rule, which is one tablespoon of whiskey to two tablespoons of flour into this lard mixture. Keep mixing it while you're doing this. Once your dough has formed, dump it out onto some plastic wrap, form it into a ball, and leave it in a cool place for about 10 to 15 minutes so the gluten in the flour can activate. At this point, flour your countertop and your rolling pin and line your cookie trays with parchment paper and get out your no doubt huge collection of cookie cutters. So then you start rolling out your dough. I would take about a handful of the dough and roll it out to about a half inch thickness and cut out the shapes to your liking. Dip each raw cookie on either side into the sugar and cinnamon mixture and lay on a cookie tray. Bake each tray of cookies for about 12 minutes a piece, though every oven is different, keep in mind. So kind of keep an eye on them and also pay attention to the smell. The scent of anise and cinnamon will give you a good idea when the cookies are done baking. You don't want to burn the bottoms of them as well. So take that tray out. Lay the cookies on a platter and let them cool and repeat until all of your dough is gone. This recipe makes about a good, I'd say 12 dozen, depending on the size of your cookie cutters. So give yourself a couple of hours for this. Prepare for it by pouring yourself a glass of some Christmas cheer and putting on your favorite corny Christmas song. 
Just please God, not Feliz Navidad. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Good Lord, I hate that song. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Sorry it was so late, but I think it was definitely worth it. Again, many heartfelt thanks to the wonderful Eric Martinez with Los Foodies. I so enjoyed having you on the show, and I look forward to more food collaborations with you in 2022. And to all my wonderful content listeners, thank you so much for your support of this podcast over the past couple of years. I look forward to providing you with more fun episodes and content in the new year. Stay well, stay safe, and get your booster. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And a Happy New Year.